just parked your car on a gravel lot and are now facing a beautiful green playground next to a forest, you're in the right place. Welcome to Bechdel Park. It's one of my favorite places in the city. If you're doing this little walking tour between June and September and you haven't already done so, I recommend that you stop right now and apply some bug spray. Seriously, put on some bug spray. While you do, a little background. I was approached by Sam at Kitchener's Registry Theatre to make a proposal to use art to see some of our community through the pandemic. I suggested that I teach a series of one-time story writing workshops to local young people for free. And I left it pretty open, like young people could mean just about anything. Then, after the workshops, we'd find some way to present the stories being imagined at this memorable moment in history by the next generation. So let's step into the woods and start to hear what they have to say. Walk between those familiar signs that ask you to keep your dog on a leash. In a moment, you'll come to a T where the path splits. We're going to turn right. For now, just keep walking, keep right. We'll stop when we see water. Will this eventually become a play? Well, uh, what's going to happen is I'm doing a lot of these workshops with a whole bunch of people. And I'm going to take uh, just little bits and pieces from each workshop and turn all that into a play. So I might, I don't know yet, because I haven't done all the workshops yet, but for example, maybe it'll be a long play with a one scene about um, the goblin Pokemon, or Rexy Noise Face, or, you know, something, or some joke that you don't even know you're going to tell me in the next hour. Something like that. But we'll have to wait and see. What do you call him? What do you call a bull that, uh, I mean, uh, no. You got it. Uh, what do you call a cow that does construction and that sleep? A bulldozer. That's <laughs> because it's asleep. It's a dozer. That's and, a it does, and a bulldozer because it does construction and it sleep. Yeah, yes, it's a double pun. It's got, it works two ways. That's a smart joke. All right, Rexy Noid Faces. I made it. Reading a choose. Wait, you made up the joke? Yeah. Did you? I took it from a joke that I didn't quite like, and then I took it into something bigger. Take something and make it into something bigger. Did you turn right at the T-intersection in the trail? Good. The path will eventually cross a little trickle of water. We'll stop when we get there. Take a minute, breathe in the scenery. If you step gently on your way, you might see some animals. Chipmunks, red-tailed hawk, 
Little garter snakes, toads, salamanders. I've once seen a mature deer eating leaves from young trees in this small forest, and my daughter once found a northern sawit owl staring down at her with its wide eyes from above. There's also mosquitoes. Lots of mosquitoes. You're currently walking, and likely living, in the Haldeman Tract. This is the land that was given by the British Crown to Six Nations as a sort of thank you for participating in the American War of Independence. At the time, a lot of the Haldeman Tract looked just like this. When the Crown later reconfiscated the tract, we invoked the Dish with One Spoon Treaty. The Dish with One Spoon Treaty says that we are to share the task of preserving and caring for the world with our neighbors. That Canada and the First Nations are governed separately, that we live in the same place and we care for the same ecology. So please, keep to the path so that we don't disturb the incredible biodiversity here. Leave the trilliums and the jack in the pulpit room to bloom. And please, don't litter. So basically, there's this cheetah, chameleon, bat, snake, bird thing, mm-hmm. mix of a few other things, who goes around. I'm not entirely sure what he does yet, but I know it's, um, it's going to be cool. I think it's like he might be like trying to go somewhere else because like the world is collapsing or something. Um, and then he meets other weird creatures like a wolf dolphin and a magic cat. My favorite animal is a cheetah. My other, my other, my friend's favorite animal is a wolf, and my other favorite, my other friend's favorite animal is a cat. So then, like, smush, smush, smush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Animals. <laughs> By now, you've likely arrived to where the path splits in multiple directions. There's a little bit of wetland and a shallow creek where I've asked you to stop. Wait here a moment. If you want to, you can have a seat on one of the logs that lines the path or participate in that age-old human activity that no one can resist and simply peer into the shallow water. Maybe you'll see some smush, smush, smush animals. A long time ago, before cities, before roads, there was a secret. And like any secret... It was dying to be told. But like any secret, the minute it is told, it is no longer a secret. In a way, it ceases to exist. And so the wise woman had a special responsibility to hold the secret inside her heart. She knew that a secret is a mystery, and that a mystery is a living thing, and that a living thing is beautiful, and that beauty should be protected. The wise woman held the secret inside of her until it twisted around her bones, making it hard to move. She held the secret inside of her until it pressed on her head, trying to pour from her lips. She held the secret inside of her until her tongue swelled in her mouth and her eyes turned into tears. She fell down on the meadow beneath a wide and watching sky, crippled by the beauty she protected inside. Until, eventually, there came a curious squirrel. The squirrel kissed its wet nose to hers. She looked through her tears and opened her tired lips. She told the squirrel her secret. And what would a squirrel do with such a magnificent thing? 
It took the whole secret into its cheeks and scampered over the softest earth to bury it. Well, winter came, and the squirrel forgot the place where the secret had been buried. And spring came, and the water swept the meadow clean. And the sun came, and the earth was warm once more. Then a little stem unfolded from the ground, reaching quietly for that wide sky. And the stem grew into a flower, and the flower grew into a tree, and the tree grew seeds, and the tree grew tall and tired, and the tree grew old. But its seeds left a forest beneath it, and the forest invited butterflies, and the butterflies invited spiders, and the spiders invited fish, and the fish invited snakes, and the snakes invited owls. And the owls were like that wise woman. When they watched that first mother tree falling to the bottom of the forest of its own seeds, the owls watched the wise woman's old secret slowly become part of the forest floor. As the secret then began to feed every bird, and every tree, the owls hid what bits of it they could. And as old nests emptied and new birds built new ones, as old trees died and new seeds grew, the secret became hidden behind a whole generation of stories, scattered all the way across the forest. Now, the question is, do we want to find the secret, or do we want to leave it be? So that's interesting. <laughs> While you sit on that log or stand on the side of the path and glance across this shallow water, I feel like I want to tell you that everyone who has ever paused here, whether to pick a direction or to rest on a log, has also glanced across this shallow water. It's small, it's simple, it's even a little bit silly, but someone, somewhere, on every continent, is doing exactly the same thing right now. And others will come by this very spot and do the same thing again. So, it's kind of like we've been doing it together this whole time. Now, get up we're going to keep walking, same direction. If you're facing downstream, we're going to turn to your right. We're going to go uphill a little. Can you hear birds? You're already approaching another fork in the trail now. There's a stump and a big beautiful tree behind it, one of the tallest trees in the area, and the path splits off in multiple directions. We're near the very center of the forest, and we're in no rush. I'll, I'll tell you which way to go. Let's just start with drawing a picture. Are you, okay? are you cool with that? Mm-hmm. I love drawing. Great. So if I were to ask you, like, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. How are you today? I'm doing... 
mildly great. <laughs> mildly great. I love that. Okay. So we're gonna draw a picture of a face of uh, a character who is mildly great, and the only rule is that it's not a character from a different story, and it's not a picture of you, it's not a picture of me. Um, it's just and so it can be an animal, it can be a person, it can be a blade of grass, just as be a character, and then we're doing mildly great. Uh, that's it. And don't use up the whole piece of paper because you're gonna put other things on the paper too. Okay. So we're just gonna I'm gonna draw one, you're gonna draw one, they'll probably be different. Okay, so I can just use my notebook? Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's an amazing notebook. Thanks. I've never actually used it before. Oh my gosh. Fresh. I'm honored that you're using it for the first time <laughs> in my in my lesson. Even though I have I've had it for several years. <laughs> yeah, oh wow, really, eh? Yep. You're like breaking the, the I'm not the greatest at drawing, but I'll try. Turn right, very slightly uphill. You'll know you're going the right way because on your left, you'll see an old rotting stump in the ground. It's bigger around than all the trees surrounding it. In another 20 paces or so, you'll see another trunk, just as big around, but much taller, broken off maybe 15 feet from the ground. Soon, the trail will split again. One way goes straight ahead, exiting the forest. The other way swings over to the left. We're going to go left. In fact, the next few turns will all be to the left. So stay on the trail, follow me, and just keep left. Easy. At this first left turn, you're going to see on your left a giant tree with gray bark and markings carved into it. And some of the writing will be easy to decipher, but some of it will be a mystery. And I can't help but wonder if this mysterious writing is, could it possibly be part of an old secret? All I can say for sure is that soon you'll see this part of the forest has some of the oldest trees. In fact, You'll see more secret markings on silver-gray trees, always on your left, as you keep left, walking along this section of trail. And almost all of them are on the oldest living trees, which is very mysterious. Here is a story from the youngest generation among us today. A frog named Sue in a swamp named Frog because Frog the Swamp was full of tadpoles and Gork the Swamp Monster wanted to eat the tadpoles. But Frog named Sue and Gork like to dance together because they are friends. But the dragon named Furion was on fire, jumped in the water to put themselves out, and then cooked some of the tadpoles by accident. The witch liked to see that. Sue had more tadpoles, and the swamp monster got to eat just the cooked ones. The dragon was no longer on fire, and the witch got to see the swamp get hot, and everyone was happy. Um, 
What? Let's figure this out while we walk. The frog is named Sue, but the swamp where Sue lives is called Frog. Okay, there, there is a logic to that. And Frog the Swamp is full of tadpoles. Naturally, that makes sense. Now, there's a swamp monster named Gork. Gork eats tadpoles. Okay, so, so it's a lot simpler than it sounds, and I, and I like it. Gork and Sue, Sue the Frog, are friends who like to dance together. That's nice. Now, even though Gork probably eats Sue's um, children... But, you know, no judgment. Then the story really escalates, which is great. Furion the dragon is on fire. Furion jumps into the water to extinguish the flames and cooks some of the tadpoles. And then suddenly there's a witch. Uh, The witch liked to see this. Furion cooking the tadpoles. What's a swamp without a witch anyway? I mean, if you've got a swamp, well, you've got to have a witch, right? So... Sue has more tadpoles, uh, and Gork eats just the tadpoles that Furion cooked. So there's a logic to the relationship too, you know, and, and fair is fair. Now, the dragon is no longer on fire, and the witch got to see the swamp get hot, which I guess evokes mysterious and steamy dark waters, and everyone is happy. Beautiful, that's a really beautiful story. On your right, just outside the forest, is going to be the Parkview Cemetery. You'll get a glimpse of the cemetery through the underbrush when we're at the highest point of this path, which could be any minute now. You'll notice other trees as big around as the stumps that we passed. There's a lot of history locked in their rings. Some of these trees would have been seedlings, just learning how to grow right around the time of the Spanish flu. To your left, you can try peering through the underbrush and see the swamp land about halfway down the hill. Do you see it? (laughs) No, no, good. It's there. Maybe that swamp has a frog named Sue. There's a happy witch named Gork the Swamp Monster eating Sue's tadpoles, and it's probably best to leave them alone, just in case. We don't want to accidentally bump into a flaming dragon. This path is going to take a left turn and go downhill. It will take you out from under the canopy and into the sunshine. Just keep going at your own easy pace until you get there. Remember to walk lightly. When you step out of the woods, that is when we will stop again and rest. I asked the participants what it's like doing school from home since the pandemic started. They said it was boring. So we started to draw up a character for a story who was boring. The the character is boring. Stick with me here. Okay. Okay, so Boring rides a bike. A boring is kind of starting to look interesting. <gasps> no! Anything but that. Okay, Boring. Okay, sorry. Boring has gray eyes. They have a beard and a mustache. And it's okay if we have different renditions of Boring. 
They ride a bike, but they only sit on the bike while they make who push the bike for them? Their daughter. Their daughter. Oh, she works so hard. What, like, can they sit on a bike while somebody else pushes it without falling over? Or do they just fall over all the time? They fall over all the time. Yeah? So they have cushions where they ride the bike. Oh, and he has a pillow on his head. But it doesn't look like a pillow at all. It looks like a weird baker's hat. Okay. But that's not boring. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, it might be boring if somebody says, hey, nice baker's hat, and boring says, hmm. Life is pain and then you die. <laughs> boring is saying life is pain. This is Boring's daughter. Can I see? Nice. Look at her eyes. My Boring's daughter is going to be a baby, but a strong baby because she can push a bike. This, this is my Boring guy. <laughs> he just has a t-shirt that says email. So you get the picture. We're spitballing a new character to help begin to build our stories. And it's funny. Because people hate Boring because it's so boring. Who hates Boring? Everyone. And it's raining on his house. Oh. Always raining. It's always gray outside. Uh, but only around his house. And even though it's clearly kind of boring, I've got to say I'm really into this story. Oh, and Boring always stays home except when he's forcing his sister to bike. Ah, uh, he's good. And I'm really into the fact that Boring's daughter is a muscular baby who pushes his bike for him. I, I couldn't have come up with that. They bike to get groceries, and he loves buying new laundry detergent. If you have a quick stride, you're probably about to step out of the woods. And if you're not there yet, don't worry. Move at your own pace, and we'll all catch up with each other. His daughter is named, for me, interesting. He doesn't like his daughter because she's interesting. And so begins one of the very few love stories to have come out of these workshops. Could love be part of the secret? But then, isn't love a part of most secrets? When you do step out of the woods, there will be a beautiful bit of a low meadow, and there's a river hiding on the other side of the tall grass. And you can see the highway beyond that. It's noisy. Wait here. We'll take in this bit of open sky for the next two short stories, then we'll be able to all walk together at our own paces after. Once upon a time, an apple fell from a tree. It got eaten before its seeds could grow into a new tree. Inside the raccoon's belly, it discovered a whole new universe. The apple met a fishbone inside the raccoon. And soon, the two of them fell in love. But in the belly, they could not grow together. They held each other close and wondered what it meant to be alive and in love with no future. One fine day, the raccoon pooped. The apple and the fishbone were now one person. They were together. And in their stinkiness, new life grew. Worms, plants, trees, and apples. 
hey, could this meadow be where the wise woman lay down with the secret? Oh, uh, maybe not. At least, not with the highway buzzing through in the background there. But then, her story started before there were roads, didn't it? Where did that wise woman with the secret come from, anyway? You know which direction we're going next. You guessed it, to the left. Enjoy the wildflowers on the way. This time you'll know very clearly when you've arrived at the next place we're going to stop. The first time I explored this path, a young girl, a, a similar age as most of these authors, walked up to me to show me the frog that she'd caught. It was as big as my face. So just keep your feet on the path. Once upon a time, there was a strong princess who was very interesting. And even though she was a grown-up, she liked to play tricks on people. She snuck into John's house and swapped things around when he wasn't there to see. She put his toothbrush in the fridge and an apple in his bathroom. And she put toothpaste on the apple. As soon as John started brushing his teeth, he became very confused. So, he decided to put chalk all over his house. He could then look for footprints and discover what was going on. But the chalk revealed nothing, just a mess. John was beginning to think that he was going bonkers. There must be some reason that he found his comb in the toaster and a slice of bread on the nightstand. So one day, he came home early and shouted out, Stop praying tricks on my things. And the strong, interesting princess revealed herself. How did you know it was me? But John didn't know it was her. He asked her how she did this, and she revealed that because she was so strong, she could climb the walls above the chalk and sneak his favorite books into the doorway and put his boots on the living room shelf. You're the strongest person I know, said John. But I'm only strong with my muscles, she replied. Interesting, he answered. I'm glad you put my books in the door. I always love to move through a good story. After that day, she stopped playing tricks on him. But John started to miss the tricks. They gave spice to his life, so he called her, and she answered. Then, together, they spent the rest of their days using their muscles and their plans, using their togetherness, playing tricks on the whole city. There's a bridge on your right. There's a nice little river. Before the bridge, there's a little metal sign staked into the ground. The sign's been painted over by some local hooligans. And you can be sure that the sign used to say, Don't go past here. Why else would there be a permanent sign standing in the middle of the path immediately before this bridge? Don't go this way. And yet, there is a bridge. I mean, 
What are bridges for? The bridge, which clearly says, come on over. And it's not like it's been fenced off. It's a very welcoming bridge. And yet you know that if it were okay to cross the bridge, the sign would have been removed. It's not like it's that hard to remove a sign. But the sign wasn't removed. But the bridge wasn't removed. Okay, I I can also confirm that the sign does not say private property. The other side of the bridge is not private property. So the side of the bridge that we've been walking on this whole time, um, that's part of the city of Waterloo. That's Bechtel Park. The other side of the bridge is the Ministry of Transportation, and you can hear the highway roaring by. But the bridge does not lead to the highway, and it's clearly not made for cars. So where does the bridge go? It's a little bit like seeing a mysterious button that says, don't push this button. And you know, the only option when you see a button like that is to push it. Let's take a step onto the bridge. (laughs) It's a good sturdy bridge. A good sturdy bridge that maybe, perhaps, we're not allowed to use. Let's stand in the middle. We'll watch the water. Maybe we'll see some ducks or the little brown fish that swim beneath them. For some reason, for one of the workshops that happened online, the audio got corrupted. I I don't totally understand why, but technology seems to have accidentally uh, warped the whole two-hour workshop into a series of clicks and scratches. (laughs) Okay, so this is what my writing looks like. Oh, that's great. (laughs) But I can't believe half of it. I remember that the story involved a multiverse and that each universe that this young writer invented had its own totally unique story contained within it and that each unique story would have repercussions that affected the larger story of the multiverse, each story affecting each story. And they're wildly different but interwoven. Now, one of the universes existed only in the world of the main character's imagination. And with every heroic behavior in her imagination, her imagination got bigger. Thus, the action of the storytelling itself, as well as creating the story as it happens in real time, makes room for more story. But it also creates room for smarter problem-solving in the world, or the um, worlds surrounding that character outside of her imagination. Well, I thought that was just about the most beautiful idea I'd ever heard. 
I took the time to listen to the grainy pops and scratches of the broken sound file, and I, I managed to gather a few snippets of information from this young writer's imagination. The protagonist needs to find the tiny letters on a shooting star to find out what universe she's going to. That way, she can help the dragon. But there's a fake star from an evil place that attempts to trick her. There are many fake stars with wrong things written on them, and she has to search through them to find the one true star that will lead her to the universe where the dragon is in trouble. No, the dragon thinks it's huge, but it's not. The dragon is small. The dragon is frustrated because they can't do huge, dragony things. The dragon is losing sight of who they are. How can they be a dragon if they can't do great, giant, dragony things? How can you be a bridge if no one is supposed to cross you? She has to find the one true shooting star, read the writing on it, and travel to the world where the dragon resides. Through the bad sound file, I heard her say something like, There is a fear, but he can fly. Maybe he hasn't tried to fly. No, he knows how to fly. And then I managed to hear her say, You know, a lot of people in real life don't always know exactly who they are, and they need help to find out, just like this dragon. And I think, do you ever feel like that? I guess I do sometimes. And you know, maybe we can walk across and explore the other side of this bridge. But maybe the other side is not for us. Maybe we get an even better experience if we just stand on this bridge and watch the water. Maybe this is what the bridge is best at. This right here. She takes her time reading the writing on the stars. She sees past the fake writing on the evil person put on some stars to try to trick her. She finds the one true star and rides it across the universe to where the dragon is. She uses her magic fairy dust to help the dragon appreciate and understand that they are actually perfectly tiny. Those are her words, actually, perfectly, tiny. This writer is eight years old. After helping the dragon finally appreciate who they are, it finds the confidence to fly again, and she rides it from universe to universe, doing good deeds and making her imagination grow. If the dragon were too big, she could never ride it. It wouldn't be able to help her. It's actually perfectly tiny. We're not going to cross the bridge today. We're going to keep walking. Same direction. Follow the path. There will eventually be another sign warning against um, giant hogweed. But don't worry, the harmful weeds are being taken care of, and we're not going to go past that sign anyway. The, the path will turn away from the sign and veer in my favorite direction back into the woods. Please stop a moment when you get there at the giant hogweed sign and you'll be welcome to wait in the sunshine or wait in the shade 
and maybe you'll see a deer or maybe you'll see a red-tailed hawk or maybe you'll see a heron. Okay, we're all more or less at that giant hogweed sign now. I wish I'd managed to get the rest of that multiverse story, with secrets everywhere. It's a shame you can still hear the traffic in the distance. Can you read it out loud? <laughs> okay. Okay. She said we needed to keep practicing. Who, who are we hunting? I asked. The person who killed my family. She said... Um, the swords hit each other and made a clash. She started to fall. I tried to catch her, but she fell on a pile of the, the extra swords. We're going to follow the main path to the left and into the forest. There'll be a little bit of a hill. Eventually, the path will split in multiple directions. We've been there before. You'll recognize it. When you get there, stop. She was wearing a hood and I couldn't see her face in the dark. I stepped out into the street, forcing her to approach me. Who are you? I asked. Why, what for? was her reply. I want you to train me. Train you? For what, picking your nose? I want to be a bounty hunter like you. Go home, kid. This isn't an easy life. I don't want an easy life. You want to train? You want to feel your muscles ache? You want to stay awake deep into the night with the ghosts of your past in your head? Yes, I said. I want that. She took me to the mountains. It was a perilous journey over rocks and fields. But she never once showed her face. Even when eating the wild field radish. Even when sweating our way up the sun-beaten cliffs. Even when she tried to hide, crying herself to sleep, her hood obscured everything. We eventually arrived at a grassy plateau in the cold breeze above the clouds. There was an old ruined castle and a small hut built against its crumbling wall. There were weapons and white skeletons of wild animals and a strange grumbling sound that shivered the stones. Why did you take me here? I asked. To train you? Or to test you? Or maybe 
to destroy you. Just then, a dragon soared over the mountain peak behind her. Its wings blocked the sun. Its roar shook in my teeth. And the hooded bounty hunter laughed. She laughed with the thousand voices of an ancient storm. I dove across the grass, dropping my bag behind me. I found a bow, but no arrow. My sweat ran cold. Have you reached the peak of our summit? You should be near the top of the hill, at the place where the path forks. We've been here before, and there's a dragon coming after us. There was a silver sword leaning against the old castle wall. The dragon swooped, showing the gleaming red of its scales. I fixed the sword against the bow and pulled its hilt back to the string. The blade sliced the bow in two as I shot the gleaming weapon into the wavering air. The silver sword met its target and buried itself in the dragon's throat. No, screamed the bounty hunter. What have you done? The dragon fell like a bomb. All the fire in its belly set the mountainside ablaze. That was my family, she screamed through the oncoming smoke. That dragon raised me. It taught me everything I know. I had no idea. Now I must avenge its death. The fallen dragon's flames reflected in her widening eyes as she raised her weapon and ran towards me. I found a wide shield in the grass, but I knew I didn't stand a chance against a fully trained bounty hunter who was raised by a dragon on the top of a mountain. There was no winning this fight, and there was no recounting my tragic mistake. I took the shield, and I ran towards the flaming slope. My adversaries screamed with both heartbreak and hatred at my heels. I raised the shield above my head, closed my wet, hot eyes, and I jumped off the side of the mountain. The hot air of the dragon's fire rose into the underside of my raised shield, and I glided like a kite into the clouds. The shield steady as a sail above me. Mist caressed my face as the cold, high air passed my ears. I was flying. Flying to safety or flying to infinity. Who knows what future would hold? But I knew the past now had to be a secret. Hiding was my only weapon to protect me from the dangerous adversary in the years to come. We're going to head down now, the way we first came, towards the trickling bit of wet land that passed under the path. The very first place we stopped, where we heard the story about the secrets that created the forest. We'll wait there again, see the water and share our gaze with someone else on every part of the world. How did that bounty hunter become family members with a dragon in the first place? Tell me about dragons. Tell me about dragons. You tell me about dragons. You tell me about dragons. I, I can't tell you about dragons if you don't tell me about dragons. I don't know about dragons. What do dragons eat? 
Probably. I don't know what dragons eat. I there's nothing that dragons eat. Dragons eat nothing? No, I can't think of anything that dragons eat. There's nothing dragon in the whole world for the dragons to eat. Do dragons eat people? I was thinking that. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me about it. Dragons are not real. Real. The inside of the dragon was full of magical things. Its sinew and arteries trickling. Its mysterious furnace like a forest. Its past victims, now squirrels and birds shyly skittering about, unsure of where they are. This is what happened to that bounty hunter. The dragon ate her entire family, and she survived, speaking to the dragon from the inside. We've all been inside a dragon before. If only we had the wisdom to address it correctly. It's not a bad time to reapply bug spray if you have it with you. And I, I just want to reach that divine little light you left. If you're facing downstream, there are two paths on your left. One goes up the way we first arrived, back towards the parking lot, and the other goes down nearer to the little stream, deeper into the dragon. We're headed down, deeper, not out. Let's go. And Bob was like, hey, I want to be your friend if you're going to eat me, okay? I was hungry. Hungry for people? Hungry for my family. Of course, I am a dragon. I cannot be satisfied with vegetables or animals. I cannot be satisfied with gold. I cannot be satisfied with you. But why? Humans are special. Humans have feelings and dreams, and nothing tastes so sweet. I refuse to let you eat my dreams. Ha 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 silly little human. I already have. No, you haven't. As you walk, there's a bit of a swamp on your right. Salamanders live there. Sometimes you can see pointy little mounds of dirt sticking up where they're burrowed under the mud. After that, 
the path will veer down a little bit before presenting you with a fork, either right or left. Refusing to be digested, the bounty hunter swam through the dragon's veins until she arrived at its heart. She wrapped her arms and legs around the dragon's giant heart, and she held tight. She didn't squeeze, but she didn't let go. In the meantime, the dragon continued through the world, eating and rampaging, until one day, the dragon started to cry. It started to cry, and it could not stop crying. A whole river began to flow from the dragon's face. What is happening to me? You wanted human feelings? So here are my feelings, wrapped around your heart. Why so sad? You ate my family. Make it stop. Let me be your family. And so she did. When you get to the fork in the path, which should be still ahead of you, you know which way I'm going to ask you to take, right? Left. The dragon let her slide out of its body through its streaming wet eyes. It dried her off with its gentle warm breath and became like a mother to her. From then on, the dragon was gentle, mighty, but kind. It cared for the bounty hunter. It sheltered her and it loved her because now the dragon's heart knew the sweetest, kindest, smallest, biggest human feelings. But something else happened. The bounty hunter's heart knew dragon feelings now, too. The bounty hunter slowly became hungry, deceitful, unsatisfied. She became a bounty hunter, violent and cruel. She made sure the dragon ate only people and never vegetables. And as the dragon ate, the more and more sorry it became every time. Eventually, the bounty hunter and the dragon were a toxic family, each infected with the other's feelings, each wanting the opposite things from the other, and the two never coming to agreement. Here is where the path splits. Go left. You're going to see, on your left, a giant fort made of sticks and trees. You can't miss it. Because this is the dragon's heart. at the fort. 
the dragon heart. You can walk right up to it. Can you feel the conflict coming from it? Can you feel the great, desperate love that it holds? The discomfort and the sadness, the hunger. Kind of like our own hearts, isn't it? Would you like to go inside? You can. You don't have to. I'm going to wait 30 seconds. An opportunity for you to explore the heart of a sad dragon. If you don't want to go inside, take this 30 seconds to listen to the sounds of the forest. The trees shifting, the animals rustling, the traffic in the distance, the dragon whimpering. If 30 seconds ends and you still want to go inside, simply pause the podcast. We'll be waiting right here where you left us. Every dragon is a little bit different. This has to be interesting. I'll read from the beginning. So our story begins with a blob named Blob and a dragon named Puffy. They are also friends. So Blob wants to ride Puffy um, to the mall, but he keeps falling off. uh, His uh, his scaly dragon back. So they need to come up with an idea so they think. The, the sneaky bush where the rabbits hide tell them to use, the, to use a container, so they tape a container to, fluff, um, to Fluffy's back, and Blob gets in, and they fly to the mall and buy a hot tub. A dragon at our house. Don't do it again, dragon. I saw someone walking down, um, I saw someone walking down the road to a cafe. They had a hood pulled over their head. It was hot out. I wonder how hot they were. Uh, I walked up to them and asked why they, why they had a hood over their head. I put it on so no one can see me, but why? I'm a bounty hunter for fun. No one can know who I am. Or they could use it against me and hurt the people I hold dear to me. So after I figured out why she had a hood over her head, I really started to like her. She had some quest to do, so I asked if I could help. I couldn't let you do that, she said. I'm tr- I'm, I said, I'm trained in the martial arts, and I've, and I've always wanted to help. Fine, you get one chance. One. I'll train you to... I'll train you to... 
sword fight. So we practiced all night and day. We did, I didn't get much sleep, but I got better. And now it was time to do it. This questing. So here we are in the heart of the forest with the heart of a dragon. A strong, interesting girl. A bounty hunter. A wise old woman with a special secret. And plenty of adventure. You see, there is a great deal more forest to explore. More than we'll get to today. Up past the fort, past the dragon's heart, there is a narrow path. Not a well-marked path, but the kind of path that people made. Sort of a single-file route going up the gentle slope. Can you find it? It's not long. It leads to one of the more officially marked paths. Take it. Watch for toads in the underbrush. That bounty hunter, the one whose heart was full of monstrous dragon feelings, she was hunting our hero, the strong, brave, interesting princess. She was raised by boring, getting stronger by pushing his bike so he could go buy laundry detergent. She traveled past stars and into new dimensions where she made each world and her imagination bigger by helping a tiny dragon who was actually perfectly tiny. She flew across a mountainside by gliding beneath a shield filled with the heat of a dying dragon fire. She was so strong and interesting that she teased John by moving his things around his house. She made friends. She saw Fury and the dragon cook the tadpoles in the swamp named Sue. She was happy. When you arrive at the main path, mulched and marked by logs laying on either side of it, stop. Who are we hunting? I asked. The person who killed my family, she said. The swords hit each other and made a clash. She started to fall. I tried to catch her, but she fell on a pile of the the extra swords in the corner. It wasn't her fault. She'd been hunted and hunted by that dragon-poisoned bounty hunter. And then only by accident she saved herself. Then she grew up, just like you and me. She grew up and became old. She grew up and became old and wise. She grew up and became old and wise with secrets inside. Secrets that were kissed by a squirrel and planted into a forest. What can you do with a secret after a life like this? You see, the secret is that if the dragon is the forest, and if the secret is the forest, and if the stories are the forest. Well, what's stories?
You see, the secret is we are the forest. After all, what bigger creatures than ourselves did we see here today? We are the explorers and the hunters and the criers and the finders. We are the storytellers who built this place with our hearts, our dragon hearts. And we have to keep growing. That is our job, to grow. So be careful, princess, with your dragon heart. Because if we don't take care of it, then we don't take care of ourselves. And remember, all these stories you heard today are from children. These stories are from the future. Now guess which way I'm going to ask you to turn now. To the left. The exit to the forest, back where we started, will come up on your right. As you go, I'd like to leave you with one last story that came from these workshops. Another clue into who we are and who we could be. A skeleton fell in a stream, and the fish started laughing at it. The skeleton cannot get up out of the water because it has no flesh to help it swim. The fish lay its eggs in the skeleton's ribs. It tickles, but it feels demeaning. The fish's eggs hatch in the skeleton's rib cage, and all the new babies fill the skeleton with joy and love. The skeleton becomes a home to the fish for many generations. They eat algae off the bones, and they hide in the skeleton for shelter. And everyone is happy. Thank you for participating in these stories today. You're welcome to explore the woods further. Maybe explore yourself or just go home and double check that your toothbrush hasn't been replaced by an apple. There's the exit to the forest, the way we came in, on your right. A frog named Sue in a swamp named Frog because Frog the swamp was full of tadpoles. This podcast was produced by Sam Vartinyuk at the Registry Theatre in downtown Kitchener. 
It was made possible by the Arts Engage Learning Community Microgrant Program at Ontario Presents. It was brought to you by Danielle DeVoe at the Midtown Radio Project. Sound editing and audio design by Matthew Rapolt. The music you've been listening to throughout the podcast is Mid-Youth Crisis by Jojo Worthington. The stories you heard were all written and created by Daisy, Matilda, Yogi, Haley, Sirsha, Alex, Duca, Ben, and Lucas. My name is Kieran Myers. Thank you for listening. Tendencies for wasting years came too soon.